How's it going, everybody? This is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So this week, we are going to talk about the topic of predestination. Now, let me get let me get this up real quick for you guys. We're going to be reading a little bit of St. Thomas today, and then I'm going to be going over what he says about predestination. <clears throat> because what you'll get from the popular level Catholic apologists is you'll get some sort of weak Arminianizing um, way of speaking about predestination. And you'll get them talking about the evil Calvinist God monster. And this is mostly in reference to predestination and election. Now, it is not as clear cut as that, as we will see from St. Thomas's teaching, who basically is in line with um, a lot of the early reformers and the uh, reform scholastics on this topic. So let's get into it. I'm going to read through two articles, and I'm going to have it on the screen so you guys can follow along if you want. I'm just going to read through a little bit, stop, and uh, do some reflection on the Catholic view of predestination. And you guys can be wowed. Okay, so the first one, let me see, is going to be... Question three, whether God reprobates any man. First, we're going to talk about reprobation because that's a particularly um, harsh doctrine in which the uh, common Catholic mindset likes to reject. And then we're going to go to Article 5 after that, whether the foreknowledge of merits is the cause of predestination. Because remember, for St. Thomas, uh, faith would be included in this question, whether the foreknowledge of um, the right use of faith, or the, I mean the right use of grace, the foreknowledge of a response of faith, or anything like that, is included in the decree of predestination. Okay, so first we're going to go through the body of the article. Then I'm going to go through some of the objections because they're very interesting how it lines up with a lot of what these uh, Catholic apologists will say. So in the question of whether God reprobates any, I answer that God does reprobate some. For it was said above that predestination is a part of providence. So providence is God's uh, decreeing of whatsoever comes to pass. And then predestination is a part of that providence in regard to salvation. To providence, however, it belongs to permit certain defects in those things which are subject to providence, as was said above. So notice, when it comes to a Thomistic, sorry, my nose is stuffy for some reason. When it comes to a Thomistic view of reprobation, it's the permission of certain defects. So God is not infusing evil or infusing sin in anybody. God is not forcing the hand of the person to sin, but rather it's a permission of those defects which are already present. And we see this throughout the entirety of, of providence. For example, when it comes to the crucifixion of Christ, um, that was certainly a evil when it was done by the by the Jews and the Romans, yet this defect was permitted that a greater good may come about. So now he's going to apply this to the topic at hand. So thus, as men are ordained to eternal life through the providence of God, it is likewise part of that providence to permit some to fall away from that end. This is called reprobation. So remember, again, it's a negative view that you'll get. Um, although there are positive aspects, which we'll get into a little bit later. So thus, as predestination is a part of providence in regard to those ordained to eternal salvation, so reprobation is a part of providence in regard to those who turn aside from that end. So remember, these things are decreed that turning aside from the end, although it is not, um, it is not forced, it is permitted in part of God's decree. Hence, reprobation implies not only foreknowledge, so this is very, 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 very important. God isn't merely foreknowing um, this action, although it's permission. Permission does not mean a mere foreknowledge, but also something more, as does providence, as was stated above. Therefore, so this, this is honestly some the best one-sentence statement when it comes to reprobation. 
in all of theology. So therefore, as predestination includes the will to confer grace and glory. So what is predestination? It is the will to confer grace and glory. It is a will. So also reprobation includes the will to permit a person to fall into sin. So remember, there's two things. There's the positive aspect where God is truly said to will that people fall away to the end. And then there's the object of that, which is permission. So it isn't anything infused in the person. Rather, it is a more hands-off and negative approach. But there still is a fact that we can say that God wills the uh, reprobation of some. He wills their falling into sin. And consequently, he wills to impose the punishment of damnation on account of that sin. So notice something also. That when it comes to the will of God to damn, uh, this is what's called the consequent will of God. So the way in which this is typically explained, the distinction between the ante what's called the antecedent and the consequent, is let's say you have a certain judge. And the judge says, I do not will that anybody dies, as a general statement. That's true. He is not willing to cause the death of anybody. Now, let's say somebody comes into his courtroom who, who uh, just murdered five people, and he imposes the death penalty on that person. Now, in consideration, while antecedently he does not will the death of any, in consideration of that certain condition, consequently, he wills to impose damnation on account of that sin. Okay. So let's get into the objections because these are pretty good because these are basically going to cover everything that you're going to get from a lot of these apologists. And I'm going to check the stream to see if there's any questions. There are no questions, but if you guys have questions, I'll hardly answer them. Okay. So... Objection one, it seems that God reprobates no man. Remember, this is objections. So this is not Thomas speaking. He's speaking in persona. For nobody reprobates what he loves, but God loves every man according to wisdom 11.25. Therefore, God reprobates no man. And that's what you're going to get from a lot of these with the Arminianizing tendency. They're going to say reprobation can't be true because God is love. So let's see what St. Thomas thinks of this argument. Let's go back down to here. So he says that God loves all men and all creatures. So we don't have to deny this fact that God loves all men. And then he's going to define what exactly loves me, love means. So inasmuch as he wishes them all some good. So what it means for God to love all men is that he wishes them all some good. But... He does not wish every good to them all. So far, therefore, as he does not wish this particularly particular good, namely eternal life, he is said to hate or reprobate them. So let's let's think about some various goods that God can can will, some various particular goods. So he could uh, will that somebody, let's say, has a mother and father who is at home and is in a very good environment growing up. That would be a blessing of God in, in that he loves them. That is a particular good. Now, this same person may um, have may not receive another particular good. There's plenty of people in these environments who do not, who are reprobated and they fall away from the faith. So he's willing some particular good, but he's not willing another particular good. So we affirm that God loves all men. But we do not affirm that because of this, that he wishes them all good. He wishes them all some good. So God is said to love in some sense, but in another sense, he is said to hate or reprobate them because he does not wish this particular good, that is eternal life. Okay, let's get to objection two. So further... If God reprobates any man, it would be necessary for reprobation to have the same relation to the reprobates as predestination has to the predestined. 
but predestination is the cause of the salvation of the predestined. Therefore, reprobation will likewise be the cause of the loss of the reprobate. But this is false, for it is said in Hosea 13, 9, Destruction is thy own, O Israel. Thy help is only in me. God does not therefore reprobate any man. So for this objection, what, what the objector says, and this again is a perennial objection, and it's a very modern objection, is that, hey, if you're saying that God reprobates people, it must be in the same exact way in which we say that God predestines people. So you must have some cause of infusion of sin, just as you have a cause of infusion in grace. And this is often how the uh, the reform position is going to be characterized by people that aren't reformed. So Thomas replies to this, reprobation differs in its causality from predestination. This is very important. While the term double predestination is okay, um, what we mean by double predestination isn't some sort of uh, equal causality between the two. We just mean that uh, reprobation is in the species of predestination, is a species of predestination. So this latter is the cause both of what is expected in the future life by the predestined, namely glory, of that which is received in this life, namely grace. Reprobation, however, so reprobation is different from predestination, is not the cause of what is in this present, namely sin, but it is the cause of abandonment by God. So what does reprobation cause? Reprobation does not cause sin. Sin is already present, but reprobation is the cause of abandonment by God. It is the case, however, of what is assigned in the future, namely eternal punishment. So eternal punishment is also a, an effect of, of uh, reprobation, yet this is under the condition of sin. So, but guilt proceeds from the free will of the person who is reprobated and deserted by grace. In this way, the word of the prophet is true, namely, destruction is thy own, O Israel. So, St. Thomas beautifully um, is able to hold together this tension between um, uh, reprobation and then the truth of the free will of the man, which the, the Reformed also do, but the modern Reformed aren't as good with that. So objection three, further, to no one ought anything to be imputed that he cannot avoid. So again, this is another very modern objection right here. So, oh, how can you say that uh, God is just if he's reprobating people because he they must necessarily be reprobated? But if God reprobates anyone, that one must perish. For it is said, consider the works of God that no man can correct what he hath despised. Therefore, it could not be imputed to any man were he to perish. But this is false. Therefore, God does not reprobate. So Thomas is, is putting this objection, sorry, objection as is that somebody could not be guilty if reprobation were true because they would be necessarily forced into uh, sin and into their damnation. But he's going to respond down here in objection three. Reprobation by God does not take anything away from the power of the person reprobated. So again, this isn't a forcing of the hand. St. Thomas makes this abundantly clear that reprobation is not some forcing. So hence, when it is said that the reprobated cannot obtain grace, this must not be understood as implying absolute impossibility, but only conditional impossibility. So there's a distinction that he makes between absolute impossibility and conditional impossibility. So a good illustration of conditional impossibility is if we think about um, the verse in the Gospels that not one of his bones will be broken. Was this an impossibility? Well, in a sense, yes, because his bones could not be broken because it was a prophecy. But in another sense, um, his bones had the ability and the nature of breakableness. Therefore, they could, if a certain power was applied to it, be broken. Yet it will not happen because of that condition. That is the prophetic. So as was said above, that the predestined must necessarily be saved, yet a conditional necessity which does not take away the liberty of choice. 
So any any articulation of reprobation that take or predestination that takes away the liberty of choice is out of the um, out of the view of Thomas, because included in the decree is the decree to that certain things will happen freely and that certain things will happen with a conditional necessity or, as I said, contingency. So whence, although anyone reprobated by God cannot acquire grace, nevertheless, that he falls into this or that particular sin comes from the use of his free will. Hence, it is rightly imputed to him as guilt. Okay, so I'm going to check the chat again for questions. Okay. You're pretty good at this. Thank you. So do you believe that there's a difference between Aquinas's view of election and the Westminster Confession? No, I do not. I do not. I actually, um, I can send this in the chat right now. Um, but I wrote an article a while back on, I think it was called the Catholic view of probation. Um, and in this article, I go over the Catholicity of reprobation. In this, I go over the um, reformed view, and then I, then I actually throughout this uh, this article, the Summa, I compare the reformed and then Saint Thomas on reprobation. So I'm sending that in the chat now. <clears throat> so wouldn't it be just in in so wouldn't it be just in the area of reprobation? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the area of reprobation. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. So I'm here for the Arminian rebuttal. I'll send it to, uh, I'll send it to um, Trent Horn. So the Byzantine Scotus, it's funny that he cited cites Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. This would really make the Neocaths mad if they read anything besides modern books. Yes. So Scotus cites, hath not the potter power over his clay. You know what? I think that'd be really cool if I, uh, I think I might look in Scotus at this, at his article. Maybe I'll do a video going over Scotus with you. Uh, I mean, if you're, if you have the time. Okay. So, so Byzantine Scotus is now comparing the Scotus and Thomist view. So agreed with the Thomists that it is unconditional, but not on all the metaphysical details, since we have a very psycho very different psychology of the mind. That's cool. You should do a video on it with the Byzantine Scotus. If he's free, I'd love to. That'd be great. Okay, now let's go to the other article. This is another one, which is very interesting. So whether the foreknowledge of merits is the cause of predestination, because in the uh in the normal sort of arminianizing uh modern catholic way of explaining uh predestination what you'll get is oh god predestined because he knew through the corridors of time that you would make well use of grace in uh, in well use of prevenient grace which is basically blatant arminianism so let's see what Thomas thinks of this view. Oops, I accidentally went into my own stream. Okay. So whether the foreknowledge of merits is the cause of predestination. So on the contrary, the apostle says, not by works of justice, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. But as he saved us, so he predestined that we should be saved. Therefore, foreknowledge of merits is not the cause of the reason of predestination. So merits and faith itself is actually included in the decree of predestination. If it's included in the decree of predestination, it cannot be the cause of the decree of predestination. Okay, so I answer that since predestination includes will, as was said above, the reason of predestination must be sought for in the same way as was the reason of the will of God. Now it was shown above that we cannot assign any cause of the divine will on the part of the act of willing, but a reason can be found on the part of the things willed, inasmuch as God wills one thing on account of something else. Okay, this is very thick and dense right here. But basically what St. Thomas is saying 
is that we cannot assign a cause to why God does this or that. But included in the decree itself, there's a logical coherence to it. So, for example, God, let's say God decreed that um, that Joe Biden would be president, which in a sense he did. And also that God decreed that he would judge America. And while we can't put the cause for the decree that Joe Biden would be president in something anterior to God that is a judgment, a necessary judgment for America, yet within that decree, the one follows after the other. So the cause of the election of Joe Biden is because America needs to be judged. So wherefore, nobody has been so insane. <laughs> you'll, you'll be surprised, St. Thomas. Nobody has been so insane as to say that merit is the cause of divine predestination as regards the act of the predestiner, predestinator. But this is the question, whether as regards the effect, predestination has any cause. Or what comes to the same thing, whether God preordained that he would give the effect of predestination to anyone on account of merits. So the question is, is basically, did God um, decree that because of certain merits, which he also decreed, that from these merits would come predestination? So in thinking in it, logically obviously there isn't this temporal sort of in the in the divine decree did god decree this person will use grace meritoriously then because he used grace meritoriously did he decree that he would be elected so that's the question that's going on here which is actually an even an even um, lower view of meritorious cause than most Modern Catholics would even be, I mean, an even higher uh, view of predestination than most uh, modern Catholics would be comfortable with. So, accordingly, there were some who held that the effect of predestination was preordained. For some, on account of pre existing merits in a former life, this was the opinion of Origen, who thought that the souls of men were created in the beginning, and according to the diversity of their works, different states were assigned to them in this world when united with the body. The apostle ever rebutes this opinion when he says, For when they were not yet born, nor had done any good or evil, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said of her, the elder should serve the younger. Others said that the pre-existing merits in this life are the reason and cause of the effect of predestination. For the Pelagians taught that the beginning of doing well came from us and the consummation from God. So that came about that the effect of predestination was granted to one and not to another, because the one made a beginning by preparing, whereas the other did not. So notice the included in this would be a beginning of preparing by faith. But against this, we have the saying of the apostle that we are not sufficient to think anything of ourselves as of ourselves. Now, no principle of action can be imagined previous to the act of thinking. Wherefore, it cannot be said that anything begun in us can be the reason of the effect of predestination. So notice, the principle of action cannot be imagined previous to the act of thinking. So our actions, whether it be of an actions of good works, merits, faith, uh, hope, and love, None of these things can be previous to the act of thinking, which, of course, here he's referring to predestination. So nothing begun in us, including faith and the good use of grace, can be the reason of the effect of predestination. And so others said that merits following the effect of predestination are the reason of predestination giving us to understand that God gives grace to a person and preordains that he will give it because he knows beforehand that he will make good use of that grace. Notice here, as if a king were to give a horse to a soldier because he knows he will make good use of it. This is actually almost exactly what the Molinists are saying. It's kind of funny because you'll read from the Molinists that St. Thomas is very unclear when it comes to whether he was a Bagnesian or a Molinist.
But look right here. This is this looks exactly like the type of illustration a Molinist would give. If a king were to give a horse to a soldier because he knows he'll make good use of it. But there seems to have... So basically, St. Thomas is kind of refuting middle knowledge here. But there seems to have drawn a distinction between that which flows from grace and that which flows from free will, as if the same thing cannot be from both. It is, however, manifest that what is of grace is the effect of predestination. and This cannot be considered as the reason of predestination. Notice, in order to have grace, it has to be predestined. So therefore, that grace which was predestined cannot be the cause of predestination or else grace would be the cause of grace which would be the cause of grace and you just get into this infinite spiral since it is contained in the notion of predestination therefore if anything else in us be the reason of predestination it will be outside the effect of predestination now there is no distinction between what flows from free will and what is of predestination as there is not distinction between which flows from the secondary cause and from the first cause and just a little aside here, this is a very good um, sentence when it comes to thinking about the relationship between grace and free will. What you have, what flows from the secondary cause, that is what flows from our will. But we say that God is the first cause. So God is calling, I mean, causing that which flows from the will. So God causes the willing, the willing of the man Yet the willing of the man is decreed to occur freely and not after the mode of absolute necessity, which we went over beforehand. For the providence of God produces effects through the operations of secondary causes, as was above shown. So God uses the means and the ends. And as was above shown in Article 3, I believe that's the article on that. No, no, no. That's in question 22. We're in question 23. But this is the same idea of. Well, if people are predestined, why do we pray? Well, because God produces effects through the operation of secondary causes. So while, while our prayer isn't um, going to change God's mind, God in his effect of predestination, it decrees that our prayer be used for furthering his own ends. Wherefore, that which flows from free will is also of predestination. Boom. That which flows from free will is also predestination. Get that etched in your minds right there. This is a long article. Uh, two more paragraphs. We must say, therefore, that the effect of predestination may be considered in a twofold light. In one way in particular, and thus there is no reason why one effect of predestination should not be the reason or cause of another, a subsequent effect being the reason of a previous effect, as its final cause, and the previous effect being the reason of the subsequent, as its meritorious cause, which is reduced to the disposition of the matter. Thus, we might say that God preordained to give glory on account of merit, and that he preordained to give grace to merit glory. So notice here. What Thomas is saying here is, uh, for example, what is the, the cause of us going to heaven let's put it that way well the cause of us going to heaven we might say is predestination we might also say that it is grace well god prede had predestined uh, grace in order that we may achieve glory so it's all of god although god isn't not using means and I realize that's a double negative. So in another way, the effect of predestination may be considered in general. Thus, it is impossible that the whole of the effect of predestination in general should have any cause as coming from us because whatsoever is in man disposing him towards salvation is all included under the effect of predestination, even the preparation of grace. So notice there's two ways of thinking about this. In general, where we say, okay, the entire act of predestination leading to glory and then also specifically those separate parts that God is using. We talk about the parts, we may speak of it. We talk about the whole of predestination. We may not at all speak of the cause being merit. For neither does this happen otherwise than by divine help, according to the prophet Jeremiah, convert us, O Lord, to thee, and we shall be converted. Yet predestination has in this way, in regard to its effect, 
the goodness of God for its reason towards, okay, I, I really like this. Um, so yet predestination has in this way, in regard to its effect, the goodness of God for its reason. So why are we predestined? The goodness of God. Towards which the whole effect of predestination is directed as the end. To where are we predestined? To God. So we are, we are predestined from the goodness of God. We are predestined towards the goodness of God. This is kind of where we get a little bit of uh, the Neoplatonic thought of St. Thomas. The idea of proceeding and receding. So from the goodness of God back to the goodness of God. And from which it proceeds as from its first moving principle. Okay, I'm going to go over the objections real quick. There's only three of them. But first, I'm going to look in the chat. Let me see. Man, you guys are you guys are chatting it up. Okay. Can the non-elect ever be saved in a state of grace for Aquinas? Yes. Yes, the non-elect can be in a state of grace, which this is where the uh, the reformed, and well, it's really complicated in the reformed view. Some are going to speak of grace being given to the non-elect. For example, um, John Calvin actually speaks this way. And then others will, will speak strictly of there being some sort of false um, just making it look like they're in a state of grace. So a solid litmus test for whether one is in the right track or not on election is if they get Paul's anticipated objection, Romans 9.19. <laughs> 17 viewers, only eight likes. Shaking my head. That's right, guys. Like this. Smash, lick that like button as uh, the other Paul says. All those thoughts comes out from Augustinian works and books. Yes, 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 yes. Read um, Augustine on um, De Predestinorum Sanctorum. I think I think that it, that's what it is on the predestination of the saints. And then also his work on perseverance, if you want a nice polemic. So it's kind of funny. As you read on predestination, you get the polemic against the Arminians. If you read on perseverance, you get the polemic against the, the Calvinists, although I hate that term with a passion. So have you seen David Bentley Hart's criticism of this position? Um, I've seen some of David Bentley Hart, but especially after his video on um, the use of the Old Testament, I can't take anything he says seriously. I... Uh, the man clearly, there's something wrong with him. Okay. Militant Thomas is reading from the left, instant translation based. Militant Thomas is a Platonist. Yes, I am. I, I love the Neoplatonists. Although all my Neoplatonist readings are from Christian authors. So I guess you could say Christian Platonism. Calvin's Beard by Orthochog Anglicana. Have you heard of John Politis? He is a recent convert to the Anglo-Catholic faith. He does copypastas very well. Okay, so why was predestination so important during the Reformation? This is actually um, a myth. This is, this is a huge myth, and I'm going to take a drink before I answer this question. Catholics wrote much more about predestination than the Reformed ever dreamed of. Predestination only becomes a very um, focused upon loci in Reformed theology about a century later during the time of the Synod of Dort. Catholics wrote so many more works on predestination than, than the Reformed ever did. And then also you'll get some, I mean, in the early Reformation, up to the Synod of Dort, you'll get some back and forth with the Lutherans. But um, 
not much, not much, especially in comparison with all the stuff that was going on in uh, Roman Catholic theology. Don't be embarrassed, Caden, that everybody thinks that. Okay, so I'm going to read through these objections real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to get going. I'd like to spend some time with my wife before I go to bed. Okay. So whether the foreknowledge of merits is the cause of predestination, objection one. It seems that the foreknowledge of merits is the cause of predestination. For the apostle says, whom I foreknew, he also predestined. Again, a gloss of Ambrose says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, says I will give mercy to him who I foresee will turn to me with his whole heart. Therefore, it seems the foreknowledge of merits is the cause of predestination. Thomas is about to blow this up. Let's get all the way down there. The use of grace foreknown by God is not the cause of conferring grace, except after the manner of the final causes was explained above. So basically, we need to make that distinction made, I think, in the second to last paragraph right here. So get this, get this paragraph right here into your brain if you want to answer this question, especially when it comes to reading the fathers on the... Uh, the relationship between merit and predestination. This is very important. So when you have uh, merit spoken of as the reason for conferring grace, it's only talking about the uh, particular aspects of predestination considered in itself, not the whole cause of predestination, which under predestination includes merit. Okay, so objection two. Further, divine prov predestination includes the divine will, which by no means can be irrational, since predestination is the purpose to have mercy, as Augustine says. But there can be no other reason for predestination than the foreknowledge of merits. Therefore, it is the cause, therefore, it must be the cause of reason of predestination. Oh, I guess it is a correct translation. Um, so this is, uh, this is actually right here another objection you'll get to uh, the Calvinist or Thomistic view of predestination, that it would just be irrational for God to just randomly choose who would be saved and who would be damned. How could you say that? That is just crazy. So let's go to the reply to objection two. Predestination has its foundation in the goodness of God as regards its effects in general. Considering its particular effects, however, one effect is the reason of another, as already stated. So notice right here, predestination isn't random. The cause of predestination and the reason for predestination is the goodness of God. And that's all you need to answer. And now the reply to the third objection is pretty long, but it's very, very important. So if you guys would just hold on with me for another 10 minutes, and I'll let you guys go. So objection three, further, there is no injustice in God. Now it would seem unjust that unequal things be given to equals, but all men are equal as regards both nature and original sin, and inequality in them arises from the merits or demerits of their actions. Therefore, God does not prepare unequal things for men by predestining reprobating, unless through the foreknowledge of their merits and demerits. So in sum, this is the it's not fair argument. It would not be fair. It would not be fair for God to, to choose some and not others unless there was some basis in them. It would just not be fair. So let's see what St. Thomas thinks about this. And I'm going to need a drink first. Okay. The reason for the predestination of some and reprobation for others must be sought for in the goodness of God. Again, it's not random. It's in the goodness of God. Thus he is said to have made all things through his goodness, so that the divine goodness might be represented in all things. Now it is unnecessary that God's goodness, I mean, now it is necessary that God's goodness, which in itself is one and undivided, should be manifested in many ways in creation, because creatures in themselves cannot attain to the simplicity of God. So in Thomas's view of what divine goodness is, is it's obviously one simple and undivided in God. But creation itself is a sign of the goodness of God, and it, in a way, participates in that goodness. It shows forth the goodness of God. Thus, and, uh, and before I go on that, a very important thing is it shows forth the goodness of God in a different way. It's analogous. 
it's not simple. It's not a simple goodness, but it's a man of it's um, a goodness that's seen in many different ways, many different aspects. Thus, it is that for the contemplate completion of the universe, there are required different grades of being, some of which hold a high and some a low place in the universe. So because there's not a one and undivided goodness, which is found in creation, there are some things which are which are which reflect God's goodness in a, in a greater way and some things in a lesser way. That this multiformity of grades may be preserved in things, God allows some evils, lest many good things should never happen, as was said above. So in in God's in God's providence, there are um there are certain defects allowed that greater goods may come about. For example, the fall itself. The fall itself is a perfect example. I think there's even um, an Orthodox hymn that goes something to that effect, that basically glorifying God for the fall because we have attained to levels in which we were never capable of in the state of grace, and then in the future in the state of glory. So because of the fall, there has been God has become man. And because of that, we we may participate in the fullness of God, not just in the state of nature with um, with a super added grace, but in all the way to the state of glory. And that is an effect actually of an evil happening so that the entirety of the universe may be completed in its goodness. So let us then consider the whole of the human race as we consider the whole universe. So just as in the whole universe, there are some bad things which allow for the entirety to be good. So in the whole of the human race, there are some bad things that perfect the whole. So God wills to manifest his goodness in men in respect to those whom he predestines by means of his mercy as sparing them and in respect of others whom he reprobates by means of his justice in punishing them. So with reprobation and predestination, God is able to show forth both his mercy in that, in that he is pardoning sinners. And then also he shows forth his justice in that he is punishing sinners. So the fullness of the goodness of God is shown forth, not only a merciful part without justice and not only a just part without mercy. So this is the reason why God elects some and rejects others. To this, the apostle refers saying, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much patience vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, that he might show the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath prepared unto glory. And, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth. And in some indeed unto honor and to some unto dishonor. So another example of this, and I think this is actually a better example. If you think of the body um, of the church. Um, actually, no, no, no. If you think of the state. So the state, it's good that good things happen for the goodness of the entire state. But it may we may say that it's a good thing that um, you have a murderer executed. The taking of life, life is not per se a good thing, but we may say it's a good thing because it perfects the whole in the fact that now that somebody has been executed, it, um, it restrains the wickedness of others, leading to a greater good. So let's keep going. We're almost, I think, yeah, this is the last paragraph. Yet why he chooses some for glory and reprobates others has no reason except the divine will. No reason except the divine will. Whence Augustine says, why he draws one and another he does not. Seek not to judge if thou dost not wish to error. Thus too, in the things of nature, a reason can be assigned since primary matter is altogether uniform. Why one part of it was fashioned by God from the beginning under the form of fire, yet another under the form of earth, that there might be a diversity of species in the things of nature. It would not be good if everything was fire. It would not be good if everything was earth. It's good that we have these complementary differences that works towards the goodness of the whole. And it's the same way in mankind. Yet why this particular part of matter is under this particular form, 
and why that under another depends upon the simple will of God. As from the simple will of the artificer, it depends that this stone is to be part of that wall, and that in another altogether, and in another, although the plan requires that some stones should be in this place and some in that place. So for the goodness of the whole of the house, he's using another illustration. Some, even though all the stones are basically the same, some stones must be in this position, some stones must be in that position, and it's complementary in that it builds up the whole of the house. Neither on this account can there be said to be injustice in God if he prepares unequal lots for not unequal things. This would be altogether contrary to the notion of justice. If the effect of predestination were granted as a debt and not gratuity, gratuitously. So God does not do any injustice when he reprobates somebody. They have justly deserved eternal damnation. So it's there's no injustice being done here. There's only either mercy or justice. There's no injustice. In things which are given gratuitously, a person can give more or less, just as he pleases, because he deprives nobody of his due without any infringement of justice. This is what the master of the house says, take what is thine and I go thy way. It is not lawful for me to do what I will. So he uses the example of the of the master of the house with the people that came at the first hour and then I think it's the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour, something like that. They're coming at these different hours and he's giving them each a full wage for the day. The person that worked the full day can't complain because he's getting his due. And the person that came right before um, the day ended can't complain because he's getting mercy. He's getting uh, a gratuitous um, present. Okay, so I'm going to check the chat, and then I'm going to get out of here. Well, if you love Augustinian Neoplatonism and Scholastic Aristotelian epistemology, a beer to be shared, it's needed. Yes, definitely. Based in St. Thomas was a Calvinist filled. <laughs> I think it's more like Calvin was a Thomist filled. St. Thomas Aquinas is a Protestant. Wrong. Wrong. Okay, so Ivan says, Calvin ontology was completely different despite the preposition. For him, God predestination, it's more in centered upon goodness and success in this life for thomas was just the opposite an healthy man is the one that don't have to fulfill his passional desires in this life aquinas says so the ontology it's completely different uh, i'd suggest you check out that article in the reformed tradition because again um Calvin isn't the Reformed tradition, and Calvin wasn't necessarily the the peak of the Reformed tradition. So actually, I would suggest reading almost anybody besides Calvin if you want to get, um, because he's very he's in a very seed stage for one, and for two, he wasn't a scholastic. So when is Pope Michael coming on? In nine days, that would be February thirteenth at six thirty. Six thirty. Okay, that looks like it, that's everything. Um, okay, that's all I have for you guys today. Um, if you love what I'm doing, actually, um, if you'd like to give me some helpful feedback, let me know what you think about these sort of videos. It seems like we had a good bit of engagement, a lot more than normal. Um, what you like about, whether you like these videos of me going over um, sections of Thomas, and kind of explaining and illustrating what he's trying to say or uh, whether you hate it you think i should just um never do one of these again i'd like the i'd like the feedback and um if you really love what i'm doing um, become a patron you get access to other articles that i write every saturday and then you also get access to other channels in the discord and then um you get 
my forever love and admiration, and you will be in my prayers, even if you're not a patron. I, uh, I will the good of you all. Okay, so that is all I have for you today. God bless, and I appreciate all of you. Goodbye.